listeners. Good morning. Uh, well, welcome back to My Sister Made Me View It, covering Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson. My name is Megan Lloyd, and I should be... What? Cleaning my bathroom, probably? Probably. Probably. What about you? My name's Emily, and I just get to relax because I'm at Megan's house on vacation. Oh, that's so nice for you. That's so nice for me. And what are we doing instead of Universal Studios today? Listen, don't put this on me. Instead... We're making a podcast. We're making a podcast. (laughs) I wanted to go to Nintendo World, and Emily's like, you don't even have a Nintendo. And I'm like, I've seen trailers for the Mario movie. (laughs) Goodness. Today, we are covering chapter 80, To Fight the Rain, 81, The Last Day, 82, For Glory Lit, and 83, Time's Illusion. Emily, at first brush, what did you think of these chapters? So this might be, I don't want to say boring. I don't want to say boring, so I'm not going to say boring. I'm just going to say these chapters felt very set-up-y to me. Uh And I don't know, I feel like the whole book has been getting us ready for this. Uh And I was, I, I only say I was a little annoyed because I couldn't, continue on i'm just like yes 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 we know we know we know we know we know <laughs> all right so this is gonna be a short episode I bet. <laughs> no. it's listen good writing still a lot of things to talk about but that was which surprised me as well because like by the time this was finished i was like let's podcast and get this over with and meg's like it's too late and we can't be noisy and i'm like oh are you right sorry it's not your fault you were 100 percent right it was very late i have very thin walls on my apartment and uh we have our apartment complex has a please quiet time after 10 p.m which we listened to we yes we did a great job anyway then let's just let's just jump in emily can you can you read me the epigraph for chapter 80 this is to fight the rain uh the epigraph is you must become king of Everything, capital E, everything. From the diagram, tenants of instruction, back of the footboard, paragraph one. So, sorry, I interrupted you. No, it's all right. So, Teravangian. Yes. He's becoming king of everything, apparently. Yes. And I cannot help but think, with this man's cleverness, with his resources, he could have found a different way. And... Oh, well, don't you just love a villain who thinks they're doing the right thing? I do. Here's the thing, though. He is an older gentleman. I don't know that he has that kind of time to set everything up for him to become king in time. Oh, no, no. Well, okay. Did so I misinterpret that? Yeah. The diagram. Yeah. <laughs> the diagram, while very clever, is still... That's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> it's not a vision from a magical being. It's not foreseeing of the future. It's one guy logically deciding what he must do. Mm-hmm. And so 
being king of everything is how he decides he's going to fix the world. Mm -hmm. And he decides to kill, murder, plot his way there as quickly as possible. Because you're right, he doesn't have a lot of time left. Um, But this is bringing us back to the question we've been coming back to again and again. Is it better to do great harm at once in order to establish a better status quo beyond that? Or is it better to take the slow route to do things in a better way, but allowing harm to continue while they happen? Because Terebangian has killed a lot of people. He has caused a lot of people to be killed. Yes. (laughs) By his healers, by Zeth. People have done things under his orders. uh, And something we didn't really touch on in his interlude is they talked about how, oh, the healer back in Carbranth, she only found like three death rattles this week. Mm-hmm. If you remember his hospital that is just full of people getting killed every single time. day for mm-hmm. death rattles. Well, I also, I don't think we touched on this either in the previous episode about how this Ardent found out what they were doing and she joined them because they're like, we either had to kill her or have her join us. Thankfully, she joined us. And I almost wish we would have talked about that a little bit more, just about, like, do you save your own skin? Like, can you, like, the ardent in the interlude, Yeah. can you do good from inside? I don't know. There's, uh, Brandon, this is so good. Anyway, uh, let's, there's actually a little picture before we get into the chapter. Wait, wait, sorry, I want to talk about Terrapins. Okay. I find it fascinating that he's the villain. Uh Uh-huh. And he has no like physical prowess that we should be afraid of except for his his i mean his brain that's more of a mental thing mm-hmm. i love the idea of him being a villain rather than like you've got you know darth vader cutting down swaths of people and force choking them and you've got you know who's another good villain <laughs> uh thanos thanos killing a bunch of people for no reason uh, uh, actually, if you'd taken a basic level college statistics more than once, you would realize. <laughs> um, so yeah, the idea that Terabangian is so incredibly dangerous this way. I love it. I just, I love yeah. it. I love the, the juxtaposition of it all. And, and comparing even in-book villains like Amaram and Sadius to Teravangian, mm-hmm. they're all very different kinds of... There's more than one kind of evil magic. <laughs> 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 all right, let's talk about uh, Chapter 80, To Fight the Rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first thing as Emily started reading this, she's like, Shallan's just stealing people's clothes. <laughs> yeah, I was not happy about that. So Shallan fought against the wind, pulling her storm coat, stolen from a soldier, close around her. So there's just a soldier out there somewhere who doesn't have, doesn't a, coat? have a coat? Maybe she let him stay in one of the fancy tents. I'm saying maybe. Okay. Uh, so Gaz is there. And Emily, let's take a minute to talk about Gaz and his turnaround from book one. Okay. You guys remember, I was not a Gaz fan in book one at all. I thought he was the worst. You thought he should be pushed off a cliff. I did. What say you now? I can see how there might possibly be improvements to this character that would warrant me not wanting to push him off a cliff. Uh, Do you think he will ever 
be able to make up for the way he treated the bridgeman or the part he played in the system? Okay, you're going to be really mad about this. You can say no. And I don't mean it the way it's coming out. But it wasn't his fault. He had to do it. To survive. Yes. Again, yes. I, I don't feel that that's 100% and, accurate. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the thing is, there's not just like a completely good button and a completely bad button. Mm-hmm. That people are complex. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is a very bad system that they have right now. And when Gaz found himself at, you know, a place in the system where he had a slight advantage, he was more cruel than he needed to be. Mm -hmm. So he may think of it as, I did what I did to survive. Remember when we first met him and he wouldn't even give Kaladin the right equipment to do the bridge run, just expecting Kaladin would die. To die, yeah. Gaz didn't need to do that to survive. No, he didn't. And Kaladin, in a terrible position, didn't just do what he had to to survive. He tried to help the people around him. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying there's any way Gaz could have ameliorated the horrors of the bridge crews. Mm -hmm. Listen, I believe people can grow and change. Yeah, Sometimes I don't like it when people grow and change. Sometimes I just want them to stick terrible so I can keep hating them safely. <laughs> so as she's reading this, Emily looks at me and she goes, do you like Elokar? <laughs> and I just been like on my couch, on my phone. And I was like, why would you ask me that? <laughs> because someone is trying to change. Someone's trying to learn and grow and change. <clears throat> and maybe this needs to be said. Maybe it doesn't need to be said. One of the reasons I really love literary things so much, or, you know, just entertainment things, is like, yeah, you can safely absolutely hate someone, Mm -hmm. or, you know, talk about how you want them to die, but it's just made up stuff, and it's... (laughs) Apparently, you can't safely hate anyone in this book, because anyone can change and become better, (sighs) if given the chance. So rude for the readers to 100% make an assumption about someone, and then... Make them change their minds. So rude. I'm really excited because, as indicated by the end of this reading, Mm -hmm. you should know that this is the point in the book where we should probably be a little nicer to (laughs) Elagor, and I should be a little meaner to Moash. We're there. We've reached that point. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Shalon is up here with Vatha and Gaz, scouting... What are they looking for? They are trying to map out the Shattered Plains. Mm-hmm. You know, so from what I understand, they she's sending out runners to, I guess, sketch and bring back to her so she can piece stuff together. Mm-hmm. Listen, I will say I probably read this a little too fast. And you may have to explain a few things to me about this <laughs> chapter. <laughs> okay. Like, why is this... Oh, let's talk about the picture. Sorry, because I talked about it and they were like, wait, something else. So, Emily, what we have here is a full map of the Shattered Plains. Mm -hmm. And it is symmetrical. Yes. And... Like an ink blot. Yes. What was your specific question? So, I thought... So, what... What... This isn't Shalon's. This isn't Shalon's drawing because it's not her handwriting. Yeah. Um, 
and it's hard to explain on an audio podcast when this is a very visual thing, but it looks like there's spokes drawn through this like a wheel. Yes. But instead of instead of the spokes going straight through, they curve off at like a 45 degree angle-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure what that is. So it's because, okay, so you see very lightly the spokes that are drawn through. Mm-hmm. So things are mirrored. So this whole quarter is the same as that whole quarter. Mm. But then this one-eighth is mirrored in that one-eighth. Mm-hmm. So this uh, little spoke is what, that's the path we took on our way to the center of the Shattered Plains. Mm-hmm. And that is what Shalon mapped. So based on the mathematic model of specific mirroring mm-hmm. and symmetry that this is based on, they're showing that this trail that they mapped is repeated in all of these different areas. Got it. So this is the same pattern throughout throughout the whole map. Okay. And as you look at this map, you may think, oh my gosh, look at all those empty spaces. How are we supposed to, like, how are you supposed to cross a huge open gap like that? But if you check the key at the bottom, mm-hmm. the light areas on the map represent plateaus that are packed very closely together mm-hmm. and dark areas represent plateaus that are spread a little further apart. Okay, so here's my question. Mm-hmm. This is not symmetrical. Uh it says mapped while lost in the chasms. Yes. It is not symmetrical, but okay, that's that's just the area that Shalon and Kaladin were lost in the chasms okay that's where they were walking around but if you look at the circle that they're in you see those the um let's just look at these two plateaus down at the bottom Mm -hmm. those two plateaus are there those two plateaus are there those two plateaus are there okay thank you you are welcome i don't have a lot of spatial reasoning (laughs) that's all right i took entry-level college statistics four times (laughs) so i know how to read a graphic So, um, Shalon is realizing if we can map this area of the plains very well, then we will be able to infer where different areas of the plains are. Mm -hmm. So, several members of Bridge 4 come to meet them up. I'm trying to figure out which which bridgeman this is. Brightness, one of the bridgemen said, Hybrid Stalinar has withdrawn the vanguard and ordered a secure perimeter on the plateau behind us. He was a tall, handsome man whose arms seemed entirely too long for his body. Listeners, do I know a handsome, <laughs> belimbed bridgeman? Who could this be? I don't know. She doesn't give his nationality or anything, yeah. so... Just handsome. But all of Bridge 4 is handsome. What am I supposed to... How am I supposed to deduce from Moash that? Moash is handsome? Yes! Since when? Listen. I know you don't see what I see. Looking through your eyes. And I know I drew him a little bedraggled in my chasm storyboards. You did not draw him as he truly could be. Yeah! <laughs> There's some there's some Tumblr art I'll show you later. <laughs> I'm I'm sure in your mind they're all very handsome. <laughs> You're so mean to me. Also, it should be noted I drew those storyboards five years ago, mm-hmm. and maybe I would draw them differently now. Okay, do it, coward. 
<laughs> you know, so for funny. someone who hasn't practiced drawing very much, you've got a big <laughs> mouth. <laughs> Sorry, um, I'm really excited. I'm actually starting our flag means death stuff this week. I'm very excited to see it. I know. I, I know. Yesterday, you asked me what I planned to do next, and I'm like a little bit adventure zone. And this morning, I decided I'm a liar, and I'm gonna because listen, our flag means death season two has to come out really soon, mm-hmm. and everybody's waiting for the trailer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like. Maybe I'll take this week and do our flag instead. Because you just finished your huge Magnus archives, and I'm thinking, oh, she'll take a break. She'll have a whole vacation. I did vacation. take a break. I took a whole weekend with you and did nothing but record <laughs> podcasts. Listen, I am trying to get internet famous and have fun along the way. <laughs> oh, push bit. I don't know where you want. Just so you guys, my little cat has become obsessed with push pins. And she's been digging them out of the mug in my computer room and then just leaving them around my house, like little landmines to step on. So, uh, okay, how do I do this? Uh, first, I want to shout out to the Bridgman who catches himself calling Relaine by the wrong name and mm-hmm. then just fixes it and moves on. And that's mm-hmm. all you have to do. It's not that hard to be a good friend. Nope. Um, but Shalon's not a very good friend. No, she's not. She is in she is in scholarly mode, and I think she's doing, and we'll explain a little bit more, I think she's doing it this way particularly because they are in a very dangerous situation, and she has pushed all of her fear off to one side because they are marching into basically the stronghold of the listeners mm-hmm. um, where uh, they said, uh, Relaine says we're practically to their home plateau brightness. Too many of their patrols have been spotted, please, because they're... Um, they're trying to get Shalon to go back to where it's safe. Mm-hmm. And she says, we need to get in there, Shalon said, pointing. That's where the secrets are. Like, she's kind of like, we are so close. We cannot turn back now. Um, something that I find recurrent in this book, uh, we had it a bit when Shalon was talking with Navani, we have it in Extremes with Teravangian, is that when someone is being clever, they stop being kind. Ooh, I like that. And thank you. I hate it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, we'll see it with Shalon here, the way that... Well, and listen, we know with Shalon that she locks up her emotions so she conceals it, don't feels it. Mm-hmm. And when she does, she starts to get mean. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. You know, she takes the Bridgman's boots. Yeah. She takes the Bridgman's jacket. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I, I think you can be intelligent and kind at the same time. She calls Renarin creepy. Yeah. And whiny. Okay. I was outraged. Um, I want you to know that the way Shalon talks to Renarin is a very hot button topic. I disagree oh. with it. <laughs> you like the way that she no. does it? Oh, okay. No, sorry. <laughs> I disagree with Shalon. Got it. Quick sidebar. Emily and I started watching Scandal. Yes. And we're, we got like seven episodes in just during, you know, meal breaks and stuff. And my cat's name is Olivia. And there are several times where someone on TV yelled Olivia and my cat turned to look at them and it <laughs> gave me the giggles. All right. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, Shalon makes it back to the tents and Dalinar, Royan, Aladar, Sabariel, the, the high princes mm-hmm. are talking things over and they're trying to decide what to do because we need to we need to keep moving forward, mm-hmm. but we also need to worry about these new, the, in their words, twisted Parshendi. You know, mm-hmm. the Stormform listeners are coming in. Shalon comes on in 
And she's like, well, we need to do this and this and this. I won't let us get biovac, but we're going to do blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And then Dalinar goes, I wasn't aware you decided our tactics, Brightness Shalon. <laughs> it's our own fault, Dalinar, Sabario said, for giving her so much leeway. We probably should have tossed her off the pinnacle weeks ago, the moment she arrived at the meeting. <laughs> and I know Shalon's doing it, her conceal it, don't feel it, and she's doing, like, new confidence girl <laughs> you have oh okay okay I've, I've formulated i've formulated a thought okay this reminds me of when she was in the market and she was acting with extreme confidence and she goes to buy something from the market stand mm -hmm. and she ends up like paying way too much going like too far overboard yeah and i think she is putting on this confidence and she's figuring things out and she's being independent for the first time and I think she's going way too far. Mm -hmm. And and the way that I'm saying it is me being like, oh, Shalon, stop that. You're so terrible. You're awful. This this isn't what I'm saying. I'm saying that she's she's going a little she's going a little too deep. She's a little in over her head in this situation simply because there are thousands of men's you know, soldiers' lives on the line with their decisions. And while she has a very good, like Teravangian's logical, intellectual understanding of what could happen, there there could be a huge cost if she made a confident mistake and not just she'll pay too much for a snack. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. Um, because yeah, Adolin comes in and he's talking about how like there's 10,000 of the Parshendi out there and they're like, we can take 10,000, we have 30,000. Like it's that point where... You see the generals, they can't, at this point, they can't think about individual lives mm -hmm. because if you do, there's, you can't get out of this without costing some lives. And so they are talking in very general, this is where this group of people will go and oh. this is where this group of soldiers will go. In general terms. Okay. <laughs> general terms. <laughs> uh, okay. Now I'm going to take the pendulum and swing it all the way the other way. I'm ready. This is Shalon's book. Mm -hmm. She is the protagonist of this book. Mm -hmm. And do you know what? Her protagonist powers grant her the right to be the amazing star of this scene. So I can see both sides of this. <laughs> I can see both sides now. <laughs> All right. The, the general... <laughs> the general feeling... General feeling? <laughs> in the tent is that... If we get closer to the Parshendi, they're going to fight harder and our retreat, our possibility of retreat will be cut off. But Dalinar knows, Shalon deduces that Dalinar knows we gave up hope of retreat days ago because they would have to run away from the Parshendi for days and days and days. Yeah. And we know the Parshendi don't need bridges or anything to cross the chasms. Yeah. Uh, so they're searching for a portal to your to your theory, mm -hmm. the the oath gate. Yeah, and now that we're this deep in, never mind, never mind. Okay, right. wait. Um, sorry, I have something else I want to say instead. Okay. Uh, Dalinar asks Shalon about the portal. How real is it? And Yasna was convinced it was completely real. She was never wrong. And this would be a storming bad time for her to break her record," mm -hmm. said Dalinar. Yeah, um, and we're reminded again. So we've had this countdown the whole book of mm -hmm. the number scratched on the wall. Tomorrow is the last day of the countdown. One said. day more. <laughs> One more 
day till ever storm comes, we will fight the Parshanti. We will see the ever storm come. It will rain on down on me. <laughs> Steal a soldier's coat. <laughs> Walk out in the rain. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. I'm so I love that. Do you want to sing with me, buddy? Um, so we now switch back over to Kaladin, and so I can tell we're getting into the final part of the book because instead of each chapter being from one point of view, we're now jumping back and forth, back and forth, back and mm-hmm. forth. And it's time for a spren watch. It is time for a spren watch. Tell me what a rain spren looks like. Oh, horrific. Okay. <laughs> tell me what it looks like. <laughs> it's... I did. (laughs) What was it about? Something happened yesterday where I was like, Emily, what do you think about this thing? And then Emily goes, I hate completely unrelated thing. And I'm like, what do you think about this thing? (laughs) Emily's brain just works so fast. She jumps jumps too far ahead in the conversation. So it says, uh, the rain spread looked like blue candles spouting from the ground, each with a single eye in the center of its top. And Kaladin agrees with me. He thinks they're creepy. Listen, sometimes when things have lots of eyes, it's actually hot. Don't like it. <laughs> the Magnus <laughs> yeah. Um, But he's still hobbling around on crutches. He probably shouldn't be up walking around, really, yeah. at this point ever. And the idea that Kaladin's been so used to Stormlight, it has put him so far above everyone else. The idea of having to heal like a normal, regular person is just beyond Kaladin's comprehension at this point. And he just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. And we find out later how bad that is. And, you know, reopen wounds and things like that further down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's hobbling around a crutch that the Lopin has, like, like tied an umbrella to. <laughs> so he doesn't have to, like, hold an umbrella. Listen. Accessibility is important. <laughs> So he's thinking a lot of Tien. Mm-hmm. Because this time the weeping mm-hmm. has always been hard for Kaladin. And I want to point out that Tien is the framework by which Kaladin understands the whole world. His love and loss for Tien changed his entire life. And we saw it back in the chasms when he was talking with Shalon, mm-hmm. where he was like, oh my gosh, how would my life be different if my relationship with Tian were different. Mm-hmm. Um, buddy. Yeah? Can you put him in the chair? Yeah. Here. It's, we'll get to a line later on today, but he's like, oh, the one thing that defines someone's someone else's whole life, that's what I think he means by that was Dalinar's Tian. Okay. Not that... It's a one-to-one equation, but we see that Tien means so much to Kaladin and occupies so much of his thoughts and his loss so deeply changed Kaladin mm-hmm. that it's it's what he's stuck on. It's all he can think about. It's like the start of all of his trauma. We'll talk about this at night, but I think Gavilar is Dalinar's Tien. Uh, 
I'm going to disagree with that because of a Rafo. Okay, but when we get there, I want to talk about okay, that. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, great. All right, so um, Kaladin's walking through the rain, and then he starts smiling because he's wearing the boots Shalon got him. Yes. <laughs> Uh, sorry, the boots that Shalon stole from him and then gave back. And fixed. I never did believe she was a horn eater, he thought. I need to make sure she knows that. I don't want a love triangle. Just let the protagonists be in love, because that's what protagonists do, okay, right? fine, fine. They fall in love because they're the main character, not <laughs> for any other reason. Okay. I can't wait for Kaladin and Shalon to find out they're twins. <laughs> separated from <laughs> She's a princess. Better her than me. <laughs> well, Kaladin. Where's Kaladin walking for? Uh, no, sorry. He doesn't walk there. Uh, he's headed back to his barracks. And who's waiting for him? It's Elokar. The king came to him. Because Moash had told him. Yeah. Oh, sorry. He's too wounded to come and see you. Yeah. The king has been like inviting him to come speak with him and listen. I don't hate Elokar, uh-huh. but we're going to talk about Elokar. Okay. This man survived a chasm fiend fight and a fall from the chasms. And Elokar, which I totally get because as the king, people come to you. But, but the idea that he's ordering an injured person to make the way, because we know it's like an hour from Dalinar's war camp yeah. up to the palace or whatever. And so finally when Elokar comes to him, he's like, oh, I guess you weren't too injured. Because Kaladin like walks back in and Elokar is tipsy and drunk. And um, and he's like, I was told you were too weak to make the trip to see me. I see that might not be the case. Like, dude. <laughs> but the way that I'm approaching this scene is that a king has come. The full hour to yes. see Kaladin in the barracks. Mm-hmm. Like, seeing Kaladin is this important to him. Mm-hmm. But Elokar can't stop himself from making a swipe. Yes, yes. Uh, and then Kaladin has a very great answer. He's like, I'm not well. I walk the camp to rebuild my strength. I feared my weakness and appearance might be offensive to the throne. And then Elokar is like, listen, I know it's because nobody listens to me. <laughs> or... The truth is, my command is meaningless, even to dark eyes. I no longer have authority in the eyes of men. And Galadin and Emily both go, great. <laughs> Here we go again. So he, uh, Elokar sends out the other guards, mm-hmm. Boash and Taka. And now... We have a conversation with Elokar. We do have a conversation with Elokar. And... I hate that this might be the start of something new. <laughs> I will tell you, this is the point in time where I plan on semi-retiring the yellow car voice. Okay. You bring it out on special occasions. I'll bring it on special occasions, but yellow <laughs> car's trying to change, and maybe I should too. Maybe we'll we'll keep the lilt, but won't hit it quite so hard. <laughs> so, how did you know how to be a hero? This. It was kind of heartbreaking because through this whole time, at least how I've seen it, is like Elokar has been really oblivious to what's going on around him. Mm -hmm. And he's only concerned with himself. But we see that he really is cognizant of 
the lack of power that he has. He the his his own lack of whatever he feels he does not have. And this has got to be so humbling to come to this dark-eyed bridge boy to say, I know people don't like me. They like you. Can you teach me how to do what you do? Mm-hmm. He admires Kaladin, which has I feel has got to be a weird position for Elokar to be in. Yeah. As king with arguably one of the biggest armies in the world, arguably one of the strongest currently cities in the world. I mean, this shows some potential for real growth. And I I was shocked. I'm not going to say impressed. Uh-huh. But I was, I mean, I'm a little impressed that, I'm, you know, that he, he did this. But yeah, this is, this is kind of cool. Yeah. So, Elokar is like, you're... Olivia! Hey, crazy. <laughs> I'd rather her fight that thing than Kenobi. Is oh, one yeah. of the reasons why I just let her do it. Yeah. Listen to that bird song outside. <laughs> Listeners, are you hearing the bird song on our podcast? I hope you do. It's beautiful. I'm sure you can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a bird. That was a cat. <laughs> okay, so everyone loves you. You saved Dalinar. You fought Shardbearers. You came back after falling into the storming chasms. How do you do it? How do you know? Mm-hmm. And Kaladin's like, it's, it's just luck. And Just lucky, I guess. Elicar says, no, no, it's a pattern. <gasps> oh, and this is when I was like, does he know about the diagram? <laughs> Which is silly because people can know about patterns and not be the ultimate evil way to take over the world. <laughs> I get that. So we, I think hmm, when we've spoken about Elicar, particularly uh, the beginning when we first meet him after the Chasm Fiend attack, mm-hmm. that we're like, oh, he doesn't see the consequences of his actions ever. And in this paragraph here, it's become clear that's not true. Mm-hmm. When I try to be strong, I make a fool of myself. When I try to be merciful, people walk all over me. When I try to listen to counsel, it turns out I've picked the wrong men. And when I try to do everything on my own, Dalinar has to take over, lest I ruin the kingdom. Mm-hmm. I think that listen to counsel, wrong men line is about Rashon. Oh. And is about the silversmiths. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, He continues to say, how do people know what to do? Why don't I know what to do? I was born to this office, given the throne by the Almighty himself. Why would he give me the title, but not the capacity? Mm. Do you remember the wording of Teravangian's wish? No. He asked for the capacity to save everyone. Okay. Um, Okay. I have a question, but... Okay. I was just going to say that capability is not the same thing as correctness. And just because you're able to do something doesn't mean you'll know the best way to do it. Do you think... Okay, this sounds like a stupid question, but I'm. do you think capacity is something people can learn or do you think it's a skill that they already need to be born with? I think it's something that can be cultivated. Mm-hmm. Just like it takes a while to learn how to run a mile. Mm-hmm. But once you've learned to run a mile, you can learn to run six. Mm -hmm. And once you've learned to run six, you can do a half marathon. Mm -hmm. The thing is, though, is that it can be very frustrating when you're just starting out with any kind of skill or capability. Uh, The gap between where you're starting and where you want to be can be incredibly disheartening and Mm -hmm. discouraging. Yeah. 
So yes, I think you can develop your capacity, but it takes a very it takes a very thick skin to be able to make a mistake, accept it and move past it. Oh yeah. And that's the hardest part. I was I was thinking about this the other day about the difference between getting a critique on a piece of art or just getting notes on a piece of art because when I was in art school, um, we would have critique days where you would put your art up in front of the class and people would have to, you know, give you feedback on it in front of everyone. And these were really hard. And one class, okay, so some classes, I don't think the teachers um, led the discussion very well. Okay. But one of my teachers, Joe Olson, he's one of the two teachers I learned the most from when it came to art. So shout out to Joe Olson when he did our design, like, it was literally a design class. It wasn't character design. I can't remember the name of it. This was 13 years ago at this point. <laughs> no, it wasn't. That's too many years. It was nine years ago at this point. Almost 13. <laughs> yeah. It's emotionally closer. Emotionally closer. Wait a second. If I graduated in 2013, and this was 2010, it was 13 there years ago. Oh, I was right. I should never have doubted me. <laughs> he was very good about teaching us how to give good feedback which was never an attack on the person um and always having you can't just say well I don't like this part you had to bring up a design based reason what we talked about in class about why it wasn't working for you personally mm -hmm. and so good notes and critiques are always about what you as the viewer sees and not about what the artist did so that being said, I was thinking about the difference between, because as a director, blah, as a director, all I do are give notes on things that people have worked very hard on. And anytime I give a note, it means they're going to have to redo something they've already done. Mm -hmm. So I personally try to be very mindful that I'm not just asking for changes because I feel I should but that I'm thinking about the episode as a whole and what in this scene needs to plug into the episode as a whole. Mm -hmm. Kaladin could have learned a thing or two from Joe Olson. Yeah. <laughs> and, um... Sorry, I had another thought about this. I'm so sorry. I thought you were done with your thought or else I would I have held that till later. Because I, I picked up a drink to drink it. Um, that when you become a professional... It gets easier to get feedback on your work because you know that, like, this is the process that you go through. Mm -hmm. And when you're just starting out learning to become a hero mm -hmm. and the gap between where you are now <laughs> and the hero you dream yourself to be is quite large, yep. you have bigger things to fix. Mm -hmm. so it's not just, oh, you know, do the Wonder Woman pose for two minutes every day. It's Yeah. Oh, so poor Elokar is like... Everyone seems to know things that I don't know. Mm -hmm. Again, he doesn't have the proper information to do his job. Mm -hmm. My father could rule even the likes of Sadius. Men loved Gavilar, feared him, and served him all at once. I can't even get a dark eyes to obey a command to come visit the palace. <laughs> Why doesn't this work? What do I have to do? <laughs> Again, I think it goes back, and I don't know how to fix this. I'm not saying, like, well, if Elokar had only followed Emily's plan of, like, the next 16 steps, this is how he's... A... He, he's not aware of others around him. Mm -hmm. And, again, I don't know if that's a, 
I'm in charge of so many people, it's hard to think of the individual worth of each one Mm -hmm. or whatever. But we talk about, like, Adolin having to, like, take care of things and the king's, like, whatever, you know, the people that died, whatever. Um, And again, Elokar is is mad that a dark eyes didn't come to him, but he didn't think about like the physical limitations that Kaladin has at yeah. this point. And so maybe being a little more, I think that would fix a lot of people's problems is being a little more self aware of others around you. Yes. Not that you need to put everyone's needs before yours first every time. That's not what I'm saying, but <laughs> to give grace to some people and not automatically assume that they're thinking what you think they're thinking. Yeah. Because a lot of times like, I'm guilty of this, where I'm like, oh, they must be thinking this about me, or oh, this must be the problem, when if you would just talk to them, it's something completely different that you wouldn't even think about. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, the inherent worth of every human life. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have, I have something to say here about Elokar is like, men loved and respected and feared my father. Mm-hmm. And we have learned a little more about Gavilar this book than we did the last one. So mm-hmm. we meet him in the last book and he was a like, cheating liar pants who cheated on his wife. Okay. I don't think it specifically said that in I the think book. Navani implied that quite Navani heavily. did imply that. <laughs> but okay, what if he wasn't a cheater? What if he was physically abusive? That is worse. <laughs> <You didn't. laughs> okay but that's worse right you see how that's worse. so we know that there's a dark side to Gavilar we don't oh, yes. know more about yeah. mm-hmm. and from what we've seen of Dalinar and Sadius's memories of him Gavilar united the kingdom through violence and people listened to him because they were afraid of him yeah Dalinar killed people for being like you're drunk no I'm not off of his head so Elokar is Judging his father's legacy after Gavilar has 20 years of being a fighter and a politician. Mm-hmm. Elokar's only six years into his reign. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to rule people who want Gavilar. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. And plus, he was kind of thrown into it. It wasn't like he had... I mean, he was he was of age when he took the throne, but I think there was still a lot he needed to learn. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have... I think Elokar would have been a different king... Had Gavilar still been alive and was teaching him yeah. his ways. I mean, but maybe Gavilar's ways aren't Elokar's ways. And also, I don't think Gavilar was expecting to give up the throne anytime no, soon. he was not. Okay, if you listen to Starkin's Twisted. No. We talked about that. Oh, okay. Yes. Bits and pieces of yeah. it. Yeah, so Aladdin has this great song that fits Elokar so good, and it's called Orphaned at 33. <laughs> I have no mom or dad. And in this song, Aladdin talks about how, like, my parents never taught me anything useful, and they orphaned me at 33, and how am I supposed to know how to take care of myself? (laughs) How am I supposed to know how to, like, live this life? My parents, all they ever did was love me and support me and give me a house to live in, and now I have nothing. Yeah, yeah. So there's a bit in the line where he's like, but don't worry, I won't put my kids through the same thing. I'll break the chain. I'm gonna live forever. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's what Gavilar was expecting, that... Oh no, I'm going to be king and I'm going to do all this magic stuff and mm-hmm. I'm going to rule a thousand years. I'll just deny you the crown and, and live, live forever. forever. So, yes. I was going to say, uh, so that's all going on in Elokar's head of just like, I've come to this man 
for him to tell me what to do. And Kaladin says, I know exactly what you should do. Stop being king. Step down. <laughs> Which, Does he say that? You could do what is best yep. for Alucard and step down. Here's the thing, though. The thoughts that led Kaladin up to that, because his immediate thought is like, should, should we kill him? <laughs> should we kill him? <laughs> Kaladin, okay, I don't think he's quite in the right mindset. He's injured. It's the weeping. He's, yeah. he's not at the top of his mental game. But yeah, he's sitting there thinking, we could just, I could do this right here. And then when Dalinar gets back. What does he say? Do. Do what? Oh, uh, kill. Yep. Strike the king down. Put Dalinar on the throne. No hiding, no secrets, no cowardly assassinations. Like, he's basically like, it would be a fair fight between me and Elokar. You know, rather than like sneaking up behind him and like, you know, killing him. But he says he could imagine Dalinar's anger, Dalinar's disappointment, Death didn't bother Death didn't bother Kaladin, but failing Dalinar storms. <laughs> Which is this world's equivalent of <laughs> Do you know what this scene reminds me of? What? During the raining when Kaladin burst into Zahel's apartment and says, Teach me the sword. Oh. And Zahel's like, no. No. I love this scene. Mm-hmm. And I love that they both do a bad job at it. Yes. Because Elokar cannot stop himself from insulting Kaladin for a, even a second. Yeah. But I'm going to pick him up for a second. Because I'm going, it's amazing. It's crazy that Elokar came to Kaladin, that he humbled himself enough to come to this bridge boy and to tell him, I feel like I'm falling short. But we find out there's an even further reason for Elokar to come. And he tells Kaladin, when you came, the shadows went away. <laughs> and and he tells him, I could see them in mirrors in the corner of my eyes. I could swear I even heard them whispering, but you frightened them. I haven't seen you since. There's something about you. Don't try to deny it. And so I had posited at one point that they were cryptic spren that um he did say the word pattern yes megan what <laughs> oh i thought you were making fun of me no <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm just so used to that <laughs> um but it seems like maybe if well okay hold on tangent time if kaladin frightened away the cryptics if they were cryptics that would make sense because cryptics and honor spren famously don't get along yeah, maybe. So is Kaladin keeping Elokar from being a radiant? Ooh, or oh. is Elokar backsliding? Elokar has started to feel apparently worse and worse about himself since Kaladin came mm-hmm. into the picture. Mm-hmm. And maybe Elokar was making progress towards being a cryptic, but something... Uh, uh, Emotionally, is like now drawing him further away. Oh, got it, got it. Hypothetically, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, here's my favorite part. Here's the highlight of this. He said, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, he talks about the fight, the disadvantaged duel. I saw you fight to help Adolin. I saw you defend Renarin, and I grew jealous. I should have helped myself. 
Instead, I overreacted. You weren't the one who ruined our chance. It was me. Mm-hmm. Dalinar was right again. I'm so tired of him being right and me being wrong. In light of it all, I'm not surprised you find me a bad king. Yeah. I love this scene. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking the whole book about it's better if Elokar just dies. It's better if Moash just kills him. Because he's not going to change. Yeah. Well, at least that's what Kaladin thinks. Like that's you, what Kaladin thinks. Kaladin thinks you can't change. Which is ironic because Kaladin has changed a lot. But again, uh, sometimes you get stuck in a, in a thought pattern of just like mm-hmm. you don't see any other way except it has to be this one way. And then someone comes along and it's just like... Mm-hmm. Well, actually. <laughs> and also, I remember in the last book during the weeping, Kaladin was in the same kind of snippish mood as well. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a, a scene in book one where he actually told the bridgeman, ugh, we should give up. Like, this was all pointless anyway. And Moash is like, I knew it! <laughs> <laughs> and I remember you got really mad at Moash over that. And I'm like, can you blame me? <laughs> can, yes! In so many words, Yes! <laughs> I'm going to see how many Star Kid quotes I can get in this recording. <laughs> anyway, chapter 81, the last day. Emily, can you give me a epigraph? The unmade, capital U, are a deviation, a flare, a conundrum that may not be worth your time. You cannot help but think of them. They are fascinating. Many are mindless, like the spren of human emotions, only much more nasty. I do believe a few can think, however... From the diagram book of the second desk drawer, paragraph 14. I'm just so tickled at all the places they have pulled this writing from. Uh, Emily, have you heard the phrase unmade before in this book? Have I? Yes. Okay. And I've told you to flag it and I told you to write it down. (laughs) Pay attention to the phrase unmade because I didn't pay attention to it the first time I read it and when... Uh, you know, the unmade started getting talked about. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> My guess is this are the actual parsh men. That is what I would guess. Rafo. Okay, thank you. <laughs> anyway. <gasps> what's happening? It gets worse. Oh, no. <laughs> so they had found, had they already found a corpse of one and they looked at the eyes? Yes. Okay. So here they are, basically the Prashendi have gathered on the plateau and are just like standing there watching them. And, and I was, you know, it's kind of dark. It's rainy. It's gloomy. But however, all of their eyes are glowing red. And like, that's gotta be so creepy. Like if you're in the middle of nowhere and you're driving down the road, and it's yeah. dark, and you see a pair of eyes flash at you from the side of the road when the high beams hit it. Like, yeah. that is creepy. Can you imagine just uh, thousands of them just standing there, like 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 a Taylor Swift concert when everyone has their iPhone lights on, and you look out into the into the thing, and there's thousands of them. I love the comparison to animal eyes at night because that's what I think of is that like reflectivity you mm-hmm. get in like nature photography. Mm-hmm. I love glowing eyes. They're a great motif. (laughs) And so people are starting to rightfully get freaked out. Like Royan is just like, oh, what have we done? What have we done? What have we done? Which is interesting because earlier someone had like not said you're a coward, but, you know, basically like, oh, I should listen to you because you always live to fight another day. And Royan is just like, let's get out of here. Let's go. Uh, Shalon moment. Dalinar is like, 
can you do anything? (laughs) And face pale, she shook her head. I'm sorry. The Knights Radiant were warriors, Dalinar said very softly. Mm -hmm. If they were, then I've got a long way to go. Mm Shallan um, works best with sneak attacks. Yes. She's not a melee fighter Mm-mm. like the rest of our, our lads. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, do you know what? Go find your Thiru. Yeah. You are the only contingency. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. Maybe this is too late to be asking this. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know where the other 90% of the milk is, and at this point I'm too afraid to ask. Oh, Right. I think you mean 98%? That's what I said. I thought you said 90% of the milk. No, 98% of the milk. Okay. Um, okay, I'm going to feel really stupid. Please, Don't, please. It's all right. I, I will react with love and grace, <laughs> and I will give you a note, not a criticism. <laughs> Delinar wants to find your theory. Why? Uh, it was the seat of the radiance. Mm-hmm. Um it was like their headquarters. Okay, he's not doing this to unite Alethkar. This is something that's removed. Well, he's trying to reconsider what unite them means. And it might not be Alethkar. Alethkar. It might be the Knights Radiant. Yeah. Okay, okay. So I think at this point, Dalinar is not like, I have a checklist of concrete goals I must accomplish. I think well, his plan to come out here on the plains is to face down the Voidbringers and, and fight them to the finish. Mm-hmm. And then Shalon is like, Yasna was looking for Eurothiru. And Dalinar's like, okay, okay, that's a good bonus. Mm-hmm. Because all through the last book, Dalinar has tired of this squabble over the gem hearts. And he's like, if we're doing the Vengeance Pact, we are doing the Vengeance Pact. And then his visions have made him think about the Voidbringers and the Knights Radiant, all this sort of stuff. And so he is trying to... Fight the Voidbringers. Mm-hmm. And he, obviously from his conversation with Shalon last chapter, he's like, whatever I've been doing with the Radiance has been incorrect. So mm-hmm. I think um, he's trying to recontextualize what his role is Radiant-wise. Okay. But he knows I'm a fighter and going out to mm-hmm. face a physical enemy is something I can do. Okay. And Aladar is sort of freaking out. Mm-hmm. Aladar is like... Did you expect there to be horrors like this? And Dalinar's like, actually, yes. <laughs> Aladar has a little bit of a freak out. Mm-hmm. But Dalinar, you know, grabs him by the jacket. And he's like, those are the Voidbringers. They have returned. And we have a chance to stop them. We may not be able to stop a desolation. But I'd do anything, including sacrificing myself and this entire army to protect Alethkar from those things. Mm-hmm. Do you... I cannot storyboard an entire book. <laughs> I, I just can't. And also, I think it's professionally rude to take something that someone else might be planning to do professionally <laughs> and make it. But this is another one of the scenes I'd love to, yeah. I'd love to do. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of that scene from the bloopers in A Bug's Life. Do you understand me? <laughs> and Princess Ada just starts giggling. Yeah! <laughs> do you think i'm stupid <laughs> um and so the you know aladar goes off oh well because dalinar's speech like okay i i don't know if dalinar just kind of lost his temper or if he's like this is exactly what aladar needs or whatever i i don't know exactly what his his way of thinking was but um he's straight like aladar 
stared at Dalinar, mouth gaping, then he straightened. He slapped his arm to his chest, giving a salute as crisp as any Dalinar had ever seen. It will be done, Bright Lord Aladar said, High Prince of War. It worked. It worked. And so, like, Dalinar wants to change Alethkar so much, but he's now giving the generals something familiar, something that they know. Because I think Dalinar has thrown off the status quo so hard and no one quite knows how to handle or deal with him. And so the idea that they can now count on the Blackthorn, the High Prince of War, I think gives them courage, which I, I just like that, you know. It's interesting because someone, someone again says something about Royon being a coward. And Dalinar has this great moment of insight. And he says he's not a coward. He's careful. And this whole thing with the gem hearts did not serve him because he wasn't reckless like Sadius and just threw away lives to get riches. Like, Royon is, in his own right, an incredible fighter. I mean, he's high prince, you, <laughs> you know. And the idea that putting Royon in a situation that shows off his strengths... That's what a good manager does. So I'd like to bring this up as a comparison to what Elokar is struggling to be. Mm -hmm. Dalinar is taking a different approach with every person. Mm -hmm. He is using their past history together and he's also trying to think about what's going to come next. Mm -hmm. That Elokar is like, why doesn't everyone follow me? Mm -hmm. Why doesn't everyone listen to what I say when, and this brought up your point earlier um, about individual, like building individual relationships that Elokar sees, is grouping literally everyone together as there's a king and then there's the people. Mm -hmm. Well, actually he's like, there's a king, there's the light eyes and there's the dark eyes. <laughs> um, and Dalinar could have taught Elokar to be a great king. Mm -hmm. And... Talonar did not teach Elokar anything. No, no, he did not. Uh, which, you know, we've we've talked about constantly that no one gave Elokar the information he needed to do his job. Mm -hmm. Let's be a little more clear. What is the information Elokar needed to be a good king? I think, like, political savviness, mm -hmm. like how to understand people. Because mm -hmm. some people know that innately, like how to use people, how to get them to do what you want, how to manipulate them. And... Elokar was kind of brought up with, I am king, so you must do what I say. Which has, that's what's happened to him his whole life. People just do what he said, even if it wasn't a good idea. So in the 1999 Roswell Ooh, series. do tell, Megan. Um, one of the characters in season one was like the leader of the group. People came to him for advice. Mm -hmm. They would listen to him when he made suggestions. And he was, you know, emotionally looking out for his people. And then, spoilers, <laughs> he finds out that he is meant to be a king on his home planet. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, this, this show's about aliens. <laughs> and in season two, we see him being like, okay, well, a king is the ultimate authority. And he starts giving orders. Like, it's very different from how he was a team leader in season one. He just starts giving orders, and when people disagree with his orders, he doubles down instead of finding any kind of compromise. Yeah. And it's created a huge amount of strife 
and conflict in the second season where he's becoming more and more extreme. And so his friends have been pushing back on him more and more to the point where he's breaking friendships and getting in huge fights and destroying the relationships he had with people because being a good leader isn't someone who gives orders. It's someone who leads. Mm -hmm. And Dalinar is out here on the battlefield leading. Yep. And, uh, Dalinar has had a lot of criticisms leveled at him over the last two books, and he's actually listened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when people say, like, you know, you have to actually give away power, you can't just say you're going to do that. Like, he, he mm. is. He's listening. And Elokar needs some good advisors. So let's, let's say, let's say you could pick any character we've met in the series so far. You get to build Elokar's new cabinet. Zahel. Okay. <laughs> Zahel's on the list. Uh, I'm going to have you pick who are two more people that you're like, they could teach Elokar to be a good king. Oh. Hmm. See, I would want to say Dalinar, but he hasn't done a good job of it yet. And so. Okay. But what if you sat Dalinar down and said, this is your specific job. Then he could do it. He yeah. could, he could find, uh, Elokar's strength mm -hmm. and, and expound on that. Okay. And. I mean, I feel like it would have to be Kaladin. Okay. Because Kaladin straight up tells, he, he's, Kaladin's that rare person who, he doesn't care that the king is here. He's telling him, like, you need to step down, you're a bad king. Mm -hmm. I might hesitate slightly. I'm just like, Kaladin, you need to, like, come up, you need to give specific reasons, not just, I hate this piece of art. You need to say, like, yeah. the composition. I, yeah, you whatever. are a bad king, and you should feel bad. <laughs> um... I would pick Kaladin, Shallan mm -hmm. uh, for the political savvy mm -hmm. and the, the thinking stuff. So, like, Kaladin for, like, the emotional connection with people, Shallan for political savvy, um, and, yeah, Zahel. That would be my dream team mm -hmm. of uh, Miss Congeniality. <laughs> Can I add one more person? Yeah. It would be Rock. Yeah! Do you know what? Sign Elokar up for Bridge 4. Make him carry a bridge. Okay. Okay. I would like to draw some parallels between Elokar and Renarin. Okay. Where Renarin is very aware of his shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And Renarin does a smart thing, which is like, okay, I have these shortcomings. Who else has had these shortcomings? Uh, I'm going to join Bridge 4 and I'm going to learn this and this and this from Kaladin. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It even parallels with Kaladin. So you know Ammon, I'll be thy servant. Yes, yes. So Renarin goes to Kaladin because mm -hmm. Renarin also wants to learn to be a hero. Mm -hmm. And Renarin says, put me to work in Bridge 4. I'm going to start from the bottom and work my way up. Uh -huh. And Elokar has said, tell me how to be a hero. Start from the top and work down. Start from the top and work down. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, their their backstories are a little different because, you know, Elokar was raised for the throne and, and people are already expecting Elokar to be a finished, perfect king. Mm -hmm. And no one has any expectations of for second son Renarin right. at all. Spare. This, yeah. We've got our heir in the spare. And, um, I, sorry, my, I'm getting fireworks in my brain because <laughs> I haven't done these connections before, where Renarin is really fighting to become a hero because Renarin is doing a good job of, okay, here's where I am. Here's where I want to be. Here's how other people have gotten there. Mm -hmm. uh, advice for people who are trying to get into the animation industry. 
uh, when I was trying to get in, instead of comparing myself to the professionals who had been working for 10 years, mm-hmm. I tried to hunt down people who had gotten internships or entry-level positions, and I looked at their portfolios to determine what skill level I should be at. Mm. So instead of trying to be like, matching toe, going toe to toe with like Glenn Keane yeah or, or Steve on mm-hmm. who's a Volt uh yeah Voltron and Legend of Korra director okay. board artist I was like okay who actually got the Pixar story internship this mm-hmm. year and so I think Elicar's like why can I not animate as well as Glenn Keane <laughs> tell me what I'm doing wrong and Renarin is like what are the 12 principles of animation? (laughs) (laughs) And look at me now. I'm a director. (laughs) It only took me 13 years. (laughs) Can I say why I think Rock would be? (laughs) Yeah. Tell me about Rock as a uh, royalty mentor. So I think Elokar needs, I'm not going to say, I think Elokar needs... Someone who feels like he's always on his side. That Elicar doesn't need to prove anything to him. And Rock just accepts people for who they mm-hmm. are. Like when Relaine is just like, but I'm I'm a traitor. And Rock is just like, that's a small thing. It's easily fixed. Like airsick lowlander. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think what Elicar might be missing is people are just like, oh, you're king. And they immediately fawn over them. But it's not a real relationship. And I feel like Rock would give him some like emotional stability of just like, oh, he likes me for me. Or like, I can just be Elicar around Rock and mm-hmm. like build his like internal self-confidence and build a richer internal world. Okay. I'm picturing this fan fiction now. Okay. Uh, this is an alternate history that starts with after the disadvantaged duel. Okay. Um, where Elokar doesn't mess up. Okay. And we fight Sadius. Mm-hmm. And to prepare for what's coming, he needs people to guide him. Mm-hmm. So Kaladin, Shallan, and Rock get chosen by uh, Dalinar. I, well, I don't know. Dalinar is enough. Anyway, basically, our new cabinet comes together to teach Elokar how to be a good king. Mm-hmm. I love this so much. <laughs> this is what you've given me to work with. <laughs> oh, man. So, but we'll we'll see because he's just asked Kaladin for help and Kaladin said no. So maybe we'll just give up. Yeah. That sounds like us. It sounds like us. Oh. <laughs> uh, anyway. Dalinar has grown as a person. Incredibly uh-huh. so because... He wants to keep Navani safe, and she's like, no, I can't be safe and help you at the same time. He's like, okay. I love, he he goes to her and he's like, I need to know you're safe in the command tent. And she goes, then pretend that's where I am. <laughs> <laughs> I love Navani. <laughs> so they're setting up their, they're setting up their Fabriel thing um, that, you know, they've been working on, their kind of secret, secret weapon. But Brandon kind of spends the next little bit setting up kind of like the hopelessness that everyone's got to be feeling and like the creepy factor of like all those glowing red eyes out there. And then they start singing. And Relaine freaks the freak out. Yep. And he tells them, you have to stop it. Yeah. Even if you have to kill them, do not let them finish that song. Mm -hmm. Hey, Emily. 
What's today? Today's the day of the Everstorm. The last day. Mm-hmm. Hamily, what's the Everstorm? I think it's whatever they're going to call up. Like we've got um, Venley calling up the tiny little storm in her hand. And we find out that not only can they call up a storm, but we'll find out later they can call up lightning, which I think I guessed in the you last did. one. <laughs> Strikes like lightning. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, the the person or the listeners have become a, a powerful enemy, but I think what they are doing is calling a huge storm. Which later I get we're kind of jumping all over, but Renarin actually notices the wind is coming from the wrong direction. Like everything's being turned upside down. You've always been able to count on high storms. You can mostly predict them, and we always know that they come from the east and go west. And like, oh, it's just really cool. So uh, just before we before we jump a little farther, Dalinar has a great battlefield speech. Yes, this is this is a Theoden speech. This is an Aragorn speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to read it. OK, I have been sent by the almighty himself to save this land from another desolation. I have seen what those things can do. I have lived lives broken by the void bringers. I've seen kingdoms shattered peoples ruined, technology forgotten. I've seen civilization itself brought to the trembling edge of collapse. We will prevent this. Today you fight not for the wealth of Elidai's or even for the honor of your king. Today you fight for the good of all men. You will not fight alone. Trust in what I have seen. Trust in my words. If those things have returned, then so must the forces that once defeated them. We will see miracles before this day is out, men. We merely have to be strong enough to deserve them. Mm-hmm. And what the hell is wrong with that Wired article guy? <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, sorry. And... Glory spread. Glory spread. True glory spread. True glory spread. Oh. But, and like, internally, he's like, well, this could be really bad, actually. Yeah. That, I think, is the mark of a good leader, to just be like, we might not make it, but I am going to give my men every, like, advantage I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know you said that this is, this these chapters are, like, set up, set up, set up, but I really love this, like, take a breath moment before... Spoilers. Things pop off. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, I didn't really like these chapters. We've already talked for over an hour about them. Because they're good. <laughs> they're good. There's stuff to be delved here. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, where does Kaladin go? Kaladin goes to the training grounds, I think, to clear his head, where uh-huh. he's going to do his best thinking. And instead, he... <laughs> so have you, have any of you listeners seen Austin Land? I have. You have. <laughs> So the the actors that you know are supposed to pretend to be in Regency era, <laughs> there's a backstage area where they're like in their like Regency like white wigs and like bright tropical swim trunks, like slathering suntan oil on themselves and like is that what you're picturing? What the artists are doing? Well, yes, sort of. Only it's raining, so there's no swim trunks or anything like that. But the artists, this is kind of their time off. And what they have done 
is they've created their own. We talked to Zayhel later, but they've created their own miniature pure lake. And Zayhel's like swinging in a hammock, like trying to have some downtime. And Kaladin comes in and ruins everything. And why have they turned the training ground into a wading pool? They have to wash the sand. Didn't think about that. Did not think about that. Brandon does such a good job at, again, this is the beggars and barmaids thing about just like the tiny little details where you have the light eyes that come in and just use the training grounds, which is what they're created for. But to go like several details further about like in order to give the light eyes the best training experience, like things have to be up to a certain code or a certain specification. And so this is the perfect time to like rinse away the stuff that's in the sand. Like I was just really impressed that this is such a tiny detail that we didn't need to know like at all. But, but now we have now it. Now we have it. So Zayhel compares this to the Pure Lake. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how the Pure Lake is warm and the breezes are soft, and it reminds him of home, not like this freezing, damp, horrible place. <laughs> Kaladin says, well, then why don't you go there? <laughs> What's Zayhel's rem- reply? Because I can't stand being reminded of home, idiot. Oh, remember remember Nalthus? How nice it was? I do. Is it still there? Rafo? <sighs> I guess. Oh, no. Brandon's been promising a Warbreaker sequel for a while. <laughs> but I miss, I miss, I miss those crazy kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you got Vivenna and Nightblood. I miss and... Nightblood a lot. <laughs> Strangely <laughs> enough, it's my favorite character. <laughs> well, I, I hope we get a Warbreaker sequel someday so you can <laughs> see him again. Thank you. <laughs> And so it's interesting because, again, Kaladin messing with people's peace of mind, waking them up early to go out and train, making Zayhel think about things he doesn't want to think about. And it's because he can't find wit. Yeah. He's been looking for him specifically. And Zayhel calls wit by another name. Mm -hmm. What is it? Dust. Oh. Interesting, though. And so... Kaladin's mad because he's been out looking. And what makes him even more angry, the, just the rudest thing, the absolutely rudest thing, is that he bought some chauta and he ate it. And it was good. And he's angry about it. So that reminds me of when you finally started liking these books. <laughs> Where you're like, I didn't want to and now I just have to. <laughs> he's, Kaladin's really trying. Because Kaladin really has himself to rely on he has a lot of life experiences but he knows for something this big something that will change the course of a kingdom he does not want to just rely on his own reasoning and i almost think he kind of wants someone to just tell him what to do tell me how to be a hero tell me how to to be a good king Mm -hmm. and i want to jump back to when sill was still around Mm -hmm. caliban says can you tell me what to do and she's like you already know what to do yeah yeah. So he wants, what he wants is for someone to tell him that the wrong decision is the right one. Yeah. Because Kaladin, Kaladin's own internal sense of morality mm-hmm. knows what he should do. Yes. But he knows what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I wish someone will confirm, like with Moesh. Okay, so Moesh 
wants to do the bad thing. Yes. And as much as I've talked about, like, Moash's past and what was done to him before, um, and Moash would be within his rights to do it, Moash still knows it's the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where perceptions come into it again. Mm-hmm. Because there are, I'm sure Graves thinks it's the right thing. Oh, yeah. And Moash and thinks mean- it's the wrong thing but still wants to do it. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the, the complicated relationships of spren and humans where it's the feeling that matters, not the actual thing that matters. Mm-hmm. So even if we had two, let's say we had two Moashes. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and one of them felt it was the right thing to do and one of them felt it was the wrong thing to do and they both go through with it. Are they both wrong? Mm. Because there was a period in time where Zeth felt like killing people was the right thing to do and the only option. Mm -hmm. But that didn't make it right. Right. So, poor boy. Poor, poor, you're right. Poor Moash indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, this is like the last chapter where I get to like Moash. So just let me have this. I will let you have this. This is for you. Um, And so, yeah, Kaladin has the decision to make and so he tries to do it with a spear his his like comfort activity yeah very he's trying to really really focus but it is difficult and this reminds me of um okay this is really stupid i feel like i say a lot of very obvious things and i don't mean to be like well that's so deep it's not he doesn't have stormlight anymore and he is worried because he does not feel that focus he doesn't feel that focus and he's worried that Stormlight is what has made him him. Uh-huh. How long is this reading? It's very long. We gotta speed it up. So I will I will wrap this up. Um he is worried. Stop flipping the pages in the microphone. Okay. Use your quiet time. Yeah. <laughs> he's worried that Stormlight has made him what he's always what he's always been. And so he's he's trying to do these these forms of the spear, but he is injured. He's really not able to do it. And I think literary-wise, part of this is it's because he knows what the right answer is. And it's not going to magically fall into place that it's something else. Mm-hmm. And Kaladin comes to a little epiphany here. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about this epiphany for a while, so I can tell you guys that right now. <laughs> he deserves it. Give me a reason why he doesn't. It might not be his fault, and he might be trying, but he's still failing. Mm-hmm. It's right to remove the wounded limb. This is what we have to do to to, to stay alive. Now, Emily, what's the rest of that quote? Gotta do what you can to stay alive, son. Turn a liability into an advantage whenever you can. Now, you didn't read I this didn't chapter. I didn't read this chapter. The Please tell me what it means. The squad leader who sent Tien to his death, this is what he told Kaladin after Tien died, mm-hmm. that he had sent the messenger boys into fight to distract the enemy so they could go through another way. Mm-hmm. And... Tien's own squad leader had sacrificed the untrained to gain a moment's advantage. It hadn't been Tien's fault. Tien had still tried. He'd still failed. So they killed him. Kaladin fell to his knees in the water. Almighty. Oh, almighty. The king. The king was Dalinar's Tien. 
Let's talk about this. How did you feel about this line when you read it? I could see why... I could see why Kellen thought this. Uh-huh. I disagree with it. Mm-hmm. I think Gavilar is Dalinar's TN. Because what happened with Gavilar changed the course of Dalinar's mm-hmm. life and purpose and meaning. And that's kind of what happened with Tien and... Kaladin. Kaladin. And, like, I see I see the parallels between mm-hmm. Elokar and Tien and... And, and the idea of, you know, a, a messenger, a small messenger boy being sacrificed in order to do the greater good for the country. If you can do that to a tiny messenger boy, why can't you do it to the king? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, I, I've read thoughts about this online with uh, the consensus being you cannot compare a king who's wanton with his privilege to a little tiny boy in the army. And that's not what this is about. This isn't like a one-to-one comparison. This mm-hmm. is emotionally. Yeah. Kaladin made a lot of foolish decisions in order to protect Tien. Mm-hmm. And he is, uh, he went into the army for this and he left his home behind for this, trying to protect something. And this is where, this is where they're comparable. Trying to protect something that had worth and value to him, but to no one else. Mm. And I would like to say instead that Gavilar is Dalinar's Kaladin. Okay, explain. Uh, His older brother, Mm -hmm. who is the shining example he wants to live up to, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't want to disappoint. Yeah. I would say that the way Bridge 4 feels about Kaladin is the way that Dalinar feels about Gavilar. Yeah. And dalinar has put so much work and so much effort into protecting elokar instead of helping him and that the loss of elokar would destroy dalinar in a way that the loss of tn did to kaladin Mm -hmm. and sometimes you know what i said about the inherent worth of a human sometimes it's about what other people feel about a thing rather than your own feelings about a thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I actually, I've gone through in the in the 13 years since this book has come out. Hey! hey. <laughs> I have gone through phases on this. Because I remember when I first got it, I was crying in this scene. Oh. Because I'd gotten the book at midnight <laughs> and it was now 7 a.m. and I was still reading. <laughs> So my emotions were very close to the surface. And emotionally, this line hit me so hard the first time I read it. Because Dalinar, I I didn't care about what happened to Elokar. Mm-hmm. But I care very much about what happens to Dalinar. Mm-hmm. So like the idea of Dalinar coming home and finding out Elokar died while he was gone. I'm like, he couldn't, he couldn't go through that. Yeah. That would be horrible. Yeah. Um, and then as I read it more... You know, maybe six or seven years ago, I'm like, oh, that is so stupid. <laughs> Elokar's not a helpless little 12-year-old. And now as I'm reading it again, I'm like, Kaladin, o- Kaladin's only framework for any emotional thing is TN because that's what all of his emotions are tied up in. And so <laughs> now I like it again <laughs> that for me... Uh, TN represents absolute emotional devastation. Mm-hmm. 
So Elokar is not like Tien, but the loss of Elokar would hit Dalinar like the loss of Tien did for Kaladin. Yeah, yeah. And I love this. Yeah, it's the last thing he has of his brother, whom he loved very, yeah. very, very much. So Yeah. Anyway, uh, the messenger is running around in a dress in the rain. <laughs> Doesn't like that. She goes to Adolin and says, you have to stop the singing. Your father indicated it was important. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not saying we should skip this. I'm saying we should go fast. It's sad. I don't like it. Our tax! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. Adolin's horse gets struck by lightning. 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 <laughs> Last chapter, we were talking about sure blood. Yes. And I was I was making fun of the name, not the <laughs> brachadium itself. I, I was, when I say I was making fun, it was just like, you can tell he has a bond with it. You can yeah. tell that he loves it. And and when it falls in battle, it's very shocking. When when Sherblood falls in battle, it's very shocking. Literally, he gets struck by okay. lightning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Here we go. <laughs> can't. Neither can the horse. <laughs> said you could be intelligent and kind at the same time <laughs> it's not happening here it's not what's going on right now um it's interesting that because adolin sees it registers what's going on but then has to compartmentalize and just be like i there are more important things than what is going on here and a quick jump in comparison to shalon mm-hmm. where she's like shut it down never feel it again mm-hmm. as adolin is you know hit with all these flashbacks of the day that he bonded with Sherblood. Yeah. He says move, grieve later. And that is important because you have to move through an emotion before you can let it go. Yeah. If you just bury everything all the time. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and so um they're realizing that the Parshendi can use lightning and it is very bad. But then they realize that the Parshendi can be killed because Adolin can use his shard blade and take them down. Mm-hmm. They can die. Yep. And then we cut again to Shalon, and she is drawing the map as frantically as she can. Mm-hmm. And she is trying to, to finish up this pattern on the map that she has completed. Um, and so as we are getting reports in from all of the other mm-hmm. scouts... There's someone who gets to contribute to the conversation. It's Pattern. It's Pattern. He's been revealed. He's here. He's talking. And and some of the other artists are like, mm, I like it. And Shalon's like, he's not a void spread. And then Indara is, Indara is like, we should study it. I'm like, I love it. So Shalon wanted to keep him hidden. Mm-hmm. But Pattern started purring so loudly. When, <laughs> I love Pattern. He's like a cat. Um, anyway, Renarin is here helping with the research. And mm-hmm. Shalon doesn't like Renarin. No. Uh, so, do you know what I think this is? Do what? you know what this reminds me of? What? Two. Now, listen, this is 100% fan projection, okay? Two neurodivergent people who are on slightly different frequencies mm-hmm. just don't like each other. Don't like each other. <laughs> They're just like, I can't explain anything about it. You set my teeth on edge. <laughs> Your vibes are off. Your vibes are rancid! <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, Shalon just doesn't like Renarin. She mm-hmm. thinks he is 
creepy. Yeah. That's literally what she says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, excuse me. Rude. Yeah. That's my boy. <laughs> and it's, I don't want to get on a super long tangent, but you would think that, I mean, if she's going to be married into this family, what I would do is try and reach out an olive branch and try and be like, I've got to find something in common. We're going to be spending a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. But I totally get why Shalon doesn't do it because she doesn't have emotional space. S- space. She doesn't have emotional bandwidth for anything because so much of it is being used up to keep mm-hmm. everything else back. Yeah. That I think she's conserving energy. Yep. Uh, jumping back in on this neurodivergency comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, When you work so hard to mask and to fit in with society and you see someone who either masks a different way from you or not at all, Mm -hmm. it can set off deep set feelings of frustration or annoyance that you may not even register that you're like, I'm working so hard to keep it together. Mm -hmm. Why can't you? Mm -hmm. And that is... That, I feel, is the exact vibe with what is happening with Shalon, where she's like, it is taking everything I have to be emotionally calm and stable and... You are not putting in, to my view, the same amount of effort. Mm-hmm. And I need you to stop. <laughs> so as people are coming in and bringing her more informations. Uh, yeah, explain this part to me about matching the pattern. Okay. Okay. Real fast, the rewind, because okay. pattern, um, pattern sasses someone. Oh and I can't believe we skipped this. So Inadara is like, I might... It, I think it might be related to the Voidbringers. Know you nothing of patterns, old hu- old human, pattern said, <laughs> huffing. When had he picked up how to huff? Voidbringers have no pattern. Besides, I have read of them in your lore. They speak of spindly arms like bone and horrific faces. I should think, if you wish to find one, the mirror might be a location where you can begin your search. <laughs> Shallan smiled as she drew. That was clever. I'm trying to learn, Pattern replied. <laughs> Insults in particular will be of great use to my people as they are truths and lies combined in a quite interesting manner. Yeah. Anyway, Shalon is trying to map the planes mm-hmm. because if we can figure out what this wedge looks like, then we can figure out where the Oathcate is. Yeah. If we know the pattern, we can follow it. Mm-hmm. And they have found something that has broken the pattern. Mm-hmm. It's not symmetrical. It is an outlier, but this time should be counted. And Emily, what does this break in the pattern look like? It's a circle. Big circle. Mm-hmm. It's the Oath Gate. Oh, it's the Oath Gate. Sorry. That, that literally... <laughs> sorry. The, the fact that um, it is a big, perfect circle, that's literally what they're looking okay, for. question. I'm yep. going back to the map. It's this? too small for us to see. Oh, so no. it's right here in the center? No, it, it's... I want to, like, zoom in. Yeah. <laughs> it it's breaks the pattern. It's somewhere in here. So it's not in the perfect center, but it's, like, near the center. Okay. And so she's she's probably drawing in this diamond right now. Okay. And uh, you got to realize that this is the entirety of the Shattered Plains. This is miles and miles and miles and miles. So they made it past the tower. Yes. Okay. This is the farthest they've ever gone in. Okay. Um, I'm not sure where the tower is on this map, actually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's the farthest we've ever made it. So, Shalon sends a message to Dalinar, and Dalinar gives Renarin a mission. A real mission. Not stay out of the way, not back up, and poor Dalinar. He's he's so glad that Renarin's wearing his shard plate, (laughs) but... Dalinar had never known a man who could look awkward in shard plate, but his son managed it. I know. 
Renarin is trying to say, I don't know. And then Dalinar says, it wasn't a request. Do as you're told or give that storming plate to someone who will. Renarin's not having a good day. No. Uh, so as the fighting is happening, as this red lightning and this wind is happening, a voice comes to Dalinar. Wait, wait, wait sorry. Um, lightning with uh-huh. Adolin. They realize that, like, it's dangerous, but the Parshendi can't absolutely control it. So it's still kind of randomized. So they at least have that sort of advantage to, to go on and do. All right. And then someone starts talking to Dalinar. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm sorry. Well, he, it says, I am sorry you have to die this way. And he's like, who's, who's talking to me? And he realizes, he recognizes the voice. It's the voice of the Almighty. From his visions From and his dreams. visions and dreams. Here's the thing. We got two more chapters left in this reading. I thought the same as you. <laughs> we were just zipped through. So, listeners, we are going to still record, but we're going to pause right here. So, I'm so sorry. You've come. You've already come to the end of this week's episode. <laughs> uh, Emily and I will keep going to do chapters 82 and 83. That means it's time to look at Harold's. So, Emily, chapter 81. (laughs) We only get through two chapters. No, we we got the three chapters. chapters. Chapter 80, to fight the rain. Uh, We have two Yezrians. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And he is the? Leader. Yep. The guy with the crown. Yeah. And so, uh, this is, I think, a good connection to the conversation that Kaladin has with Elikar about what it means to be a king, what mm-hmm. it means to be a hero and a leader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, next chapter. Chichenarach. Yep. Yes. And E. Uh huh. E. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ishar is about being pious and about guidance. Um, and then Chichenarach is about being brave and obedient. So. Kaladin's looking for guidance in this chapter. Mm-hmm. He's like, please, Zael, tell me something. <laughs> um, and then being brave and obedient, uh, I think this is this is Kaladin registering that he's got to obey what's what's right. Mm-hmm. Which I've got to think, Syl's got to come back at one point because Kaladin's figured it out now. She's become one with the Force. Yes. No. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> and um, is that all we did? 80 and 81? I guess so. <laughs> uh, flashback to two hours ago when I said, so I guess this will be really short. <laughs> so like not a lot of action happened in these chapters, but a lot of feelings did. Yes. And the song for these two chapters is Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Oh, I love it. And yeah, there we go. So we're going to stop this recording and save it. <laughs> and then great job. Congratulations, listeners. You're just going to get extra, extra, <laughs> extra episodes, episodes from us. All right. I love you all so much, Emily. Thank you. You're welcome. This I'm, is fun. <laughs> I'm so glad that you like this chowta that I've prepared for <laughs> you. <laughs> Reluctantly, but I do. All right. We'll catch you guys soon. Uh, I believe in you. I believe in you. Just talking to the listeners. Oh. Ready. Ready. Break. <laughs> Emily just bopped me on the head because my hands were too full for the high five. <laughs>
you to everyone who has stuck around and listened to our latest episode of My Sister Made Me View It. Oh, today is Words of Radiance. <laughs> you know why I'm so confused? It's because I messed up. And that's why you guys got three weeks in a row of episodes one after the other. And so that is our little gift to you. You are welcome. Thank you for being wonderful listeners. And thank you to everyone who has left a rating and a review. Uh, just so you know, every time you guys do that, it bumps us up a little higher. The more ratings a podcast has, it's like one of the first, you know, results items that comes up when you google stuff or search for it on podcasts or anything so every review we get gets us closer to the top which means more people can see it which means we will have more listeners that we can talk to and and you know have fun with and uh my brain's pretty shot in case you couldn't tell uh it's been a great week it's been a crazy week and the craziness continues after this um you usually do get megan uh at the end of the Words of Radiance podcast, but she is deep in the throes of doing Star Trek, and so you have me today. Yay! A special thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm. Michael, thank you again so much for letting us use your song. Uh, we use the song for all of our podcasts, which includes My Sister Made Me View It, the Roswell 1999 edition, and our Ra no and our my sister made me view it miscellaneous feed currently the miscellaneous feed has our flag means death on it all of the episodes megan and i are currently working on one to watch by kate stamen london which is a novel which is fabulous so keep an eye out for that once that is finished we will put up the guest which is a korean horror tv show which I only barely lived through. So you should be so lucky that I am here to tell the tale of that. Um, so next week will be our Roswell release. And then the week after that, we are back on our regular Words of Radiance episodes release schedule. Um, and that's all we got for you this week. And also, we think you guys are awesome. And you do so much for us. And we just, we just sure love you. We just think you're great and you're neat and you're wonderful. And we believe in you.